0: Thanks for listening to another episode of Clueston, where every other Tuesday is Clues Day, and we tell you about a crime that happened near where we live in the best city in the world, Houston. I'm your host, Kat, and he's my future victim, Charles.
1: Uh, I am your sequestered sidekick. Okay,
0: you came up with that one pretty quick. Our
1: mandatory maid servant. I've kind of been toying with both of <laughs> you them. You have this to week.
0: pick which one is it.
1: <sighs> sidekick has kind of a superhero feel to it. And I'm pretty damn super.
0: Okay, what was it? The what sidekick? The sequestered sidekick. Okay, I'm your host Kat, and he's my sequestered sidekick, Charles. That, that's kind of like a tongue twister.
1: Yeah, I, I imagine myself in a a not not spandex, but a latex suit, <laughs> like shiny rubber suit.
0: Oh, what color is it?
1: Black, of course. Of course. It's slimming. It's slimming, except in the package. This <laughs> is oh. the package will be.
0: The package will be like horizontal stripes.
1: Right. Well, you know, it'll just say magnum so across We're it. We're taking this out. We're, not We're taking, taking out. this out for sure. I, but I don't know if my symbol would be just a big yellow M.
0: For what? For
1: Oh, mandatory maidservant. See? Wait, you a changed your name. No, I'm a sequestered sidekick. Okay. But my hero name is mandatory maidservant.
0: Well, that's just confusing. Hey. Okay. So I listened to the last episode, and I realized that when I was talking about Ozark, I called it Ozark.
1: <laughs> that is a water company that I
0: know, I uh, we don't so even stup- buy. <laughs> I felt so stupid, uh, but I can't be the only one who's done that, right? I don't
1: know. What is the water that we have been getting with the big wide top
0: that's so I don't know, damn good? It's, so good? it's like Evo or so- No, it's not Evo.
1: I don't know. It's it's. Awesome. I'll be
0: apologizing for calling it Evo next week.
1: Why would we apologize anyway. to some company? <laughs> I
0: don't know take that out
1: if they ain't paying us we don't care
0: (laughs) okay so today's case happened in a suburb south of houston and you know what else is near a suburb or is in a suburb south of houston
1: i'm guessing call me (laughs) i'm not a savant or clairvoyant or whatever i'm guessing nachos nachos
0: (laughs) Located in Old Pearland, Nacho Nachos is a gourmet nacho bar serving build-your-own craft nachos. Start your nacho building experience by draping their signature queso over a base of your choice, either traditional house-fried chips, crisp lettuce, and spring mix, or seasoned and battered French fries.
1: But if you picked the lettuce, <laughs> you're an idiot. I'm sorry. Or you're healthy. You shut up with that. You don't go get. You get do. You want to read that? No, I'm gonna shut up.
0: Okay. You can then choose complimentary beans and Mexican rice before piling on the meat of your choice. Think Subway or Chipotle, but for craft nachos. Finish your nachos with fresh toppings. I got to interrupt
1: again. <laughs> Think Subway or Chipotle, but actually delicious. That's all I'm saying. Go ahead.
0: It's Chipotle. It's
1: Chipotle, and it sucks. <laughs> and so does Subway. Nachos nachos is damn good.
0: <sighs> We're taking that out. And now you made me lose my... Okay. Pico gallo, green onions, corn salsa, jalapenos, and then let their nacho artists take it to the next level with various sauces like chipotle mayo, sriracha, hot salsa, and avocado cream sauce. Don't forget the sour cream and the guacamole before delving into the meal that is gourmet nachos. Nachos aren't just snack food anymore. Nacho Nachos, located at 1330 Broadway Street near Dixie Farm at 518, across from Kings Beer Garden. Check out our website at nachonachos.com, and for the love of Pete, follow them in their hilarious videos on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Nacho Nachos HTX. Nacho Nachos. Nachos over everything.
1: So you think if I quit my lawyer jobs, my two lawyer jobs, my financial advisor recruiting, my radio show, and Fox, quit all five of them. I don't care if you leave me. (laughs) That's, uh, you know, but if I went all in on being a nacho artist... Do you think Chris would give me a discount on nachos every day?
0: Wait, I don't understand. If you went in, all in on being I a just, nacho just artist? I'm be, I mean,
1: being a nacho like artist. Like you're working I, for him? I'm like I'm a nacho artist.
0: And then you, you do it for a discount on the nachos? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I'm sure he would give you a discount. I bet he gives an employee discount.
1: As, as sponsored as the sequestered sidekick <laughs> of a show he sponsors, does that mean I get a discount?
0: Oh, I don't know. You have to ask. If you get a discount, I get a discount. So
1: I can keep my job. <laughs> okay. Anyway. Are
0: we gonna speak, I can talk about job.
1: food all night, but whatever. Go ahead.
0: Okay. Let, let's talk about
1: death and murder <laughs> and mayhem <laughs> instead.
0: Okay. So we get suggestors from the... Liz- suggestors? See, I...
1: What is a suggester? Because, <laughs> baby, I got some suggestors for later.
0: Um. okay. We're definitely taking all of this out.
1: We're not taking anything out. are <laughs> okay. you so a we- real producer. <laughs>
0: We get suggestions from listeners all the time, and today's case is one that has been suggested several times. It's a case that I knew I'd have to do eventually, so I figured with Mother's Day around the corner, now's the perfect time to do it. I don't think there'll be much laughter in this episode, and warning, you're going to need all of the wine, because this episode is about Andrea Yates. I almost didn't do a clue for the, the pun, or a clue pun for the name. But I didn't want to let down my seven people who like puns. So it's called She Had So Many Children, She Didn't Know What to Clue.
1: Okay. Obviously, I'm familiar with this story, probably not to the degree, but that's awful. You're awful for coming up with it. Everyone that listens to this has to have some little element of awful for wanting to hear about this horror story.
0: Okay. For part of my research, I read a book called Are You There Alone by Suzanne O'Malley. If you lived in Houston during the summer of 2001, you most likely remember seeing a tearful, rusty Yates standing outside his Spanish-style Clear Lake home, clutching a family photo as he addressed the media about the unthinkable crime that had occurred in his home. Like 9-11 or JFK, you may even remember where you were and what you were doing as he talked about his five children and his wife, Andrea. And if you're like me, as you heard him talk about her mental issues and their religious beliefs, You probably wondered, why was she left alone with their children? Where was her husband? Maybe you even questioned your own religion. I mean, where was God himself on that fateful morning when Andrea Yates drowned her children in the bathtub one by one? Andrea Pia Kennedy was born July 2, 1964, in Houston. She was the youngest of five children. She went to Milby High School, where she was captain of, ironically, the swim team. She was an officer of the National Honor Society in the nineteen eighty two class valedictorian.
1: She was a valedictorian?
0: Yeah. She's actually Well
1: wow. and Melby's a big school.
0: Right. I mean it she there were other accomplishments too, but those were the ones that stood out. Yeah, I mean the only thing that you know about her is that she killed her kids.
1: Well that's a pretty big <laughs> I mean as things go.
0: That's awful. I shouldn't be laughing. Okay. After high school, she graduated from the University of Texas School of Nursing and worked as a registered nurse at MD Anderson Cancer Center.
1: So she had a good job.
0: Right. She lived at Sunscape Apartments near FM 1959, and that's where she met her neighbor, Rusty Yates. Raised near Nashville, Tennessee, Russell Edison Yates was a football star in high school. He was active in the Fellowship of Christian Athletes, president of the National Honor Society, and voted class favorite and Mr. DuPont at DuPont Senior High School.
1: Do we know what class favorite? We don't know. Because, I mean, that's a pretty wide swing, at least at my school.
0: Not in mine. I think it was just, like, junior favorites, senior favorites. Oh,
1: you didn't have, like, class favorite funniest, class favorite smartest, class favorite?
0: I think we had that, but I think that was, like, separate. I don't remember. Okay. Um I, I, didn't rusty. I didn't peak in high school. So be, sorry. I don't remember. Yeah, you peaked
1: in junior high. <laughs> <laughs> I peaked
0: at seven. I'll show you a picture. I was hot. <laughs> that's,
1: that is the the most We're disgusting <laughs> thing you've ever said. Anyhow, Tennessee <laughs> explains the Rusty, right? I mean, that's a very Tennessee name. And Rusties tend to be.
0: We're taking that part out about my seventh
1: grade. Rusties seven tend to be early. like unfluoridated. You know what I'm saying?
0: Like no fluoride in the water? Like bad teeth?
1: Just all around.
0: Actually, I mean, he's very like clean cut looking and like.
1: That was hard. You know what? It was. You could tell there was something going on behind those eyes. But that's it. I don't, you know, go ahead. So
0: you remember. You remember seeing him?
1: Yeah, it was. I remember when it happened. It happened right before we moved to uh, Cambridge.
0: Right. So he graduated third in his class. He went to Auburn University.
1: So he was the second loser?
0: Right. And after college, he moved to Houston and began working at NASA. Uh,
1: Pause. Auburn explains explains a lot, too. Go ahead.
0: The first time Rusty saw his future wife, she was floating in the apartment pool. Which, if it was a movie, I'd call it foreshadowing. But it's real life, so what do you call it? An omen? Dun-dun. They began... We should not be we should not be doing that.
1: <laughs> if this isn't fun, why should we do it?
0: You got a point. They began dating that fall. They soon moved in together and were married April 17, 1993. They decided to have as many children as God would allow. And their first son Noah was born on February 26, 1994. After his birth, Andrea quit her nursing job and began to be a stay-at-home mom. Their second son John was born December 12th, 1995. She had a miscarriage November of 96. and Baby number three, Paul, was born September 13th, 97, followed by Luke, February 15th, 1999.
1: So he's just pumping her full of babies.
0: Right. So to recap, that's four Literally kids. Literally
1: and figuratively. Oh my
0: God. You, seriously, that's going out. We don't talk like that. So to recap, that's four kids and one miscarriage in less than six years. And did I mention that they decided that Andrea would homeschool the children as well? So although Noah is about to turn five, he will not start kindergarten in the fall. And remember, as many children as God will give them, so there's no light at the end of the tunnel for Andrea. Oh, and also, did I mention that they were living in a converted Greyhound bus? Because, I mean, why not? You're a NASA engineer who makes $80,000 a year. Why not make your wife and four kids live in a bus? You know who could make a better home than a bus?
1: If you're thinking about moving your family into a Greyhound bus, I'd say press pause. <laughs> and, you know, and whether it's a home to live in or office space for your small business, offshore workforce living solutions, tool rooms, firework stands, hunting blinds, a bar to drink in, a bathroom for your pool, an outdoor kitchen, a man cave, a she shed, or almost any type of structure.
0: Hey, you know what I'm not doing? What? Interrupting your ad.
1: Well, you just did. <laughs> so now you're you're a liar and you're interrupting my ad. Any type of structure including a house for your wife and all your kids <laughs> consider calling JR Specialty of Huffman Texas first JR Specialty builds custom intermodal homes from shipping containers these containers are originally designed to be stacked on cargo he shook <laughs> you're messing me up this stacked on cargo ships and take beatings without damaging the cargo JR Specialty transforms containers into all types of safe and sturdy buildings that are built to last easy to relocate and leave behind a smaller footprint with fewer resources being wasted. Not only will you be saving money, you'll be saving the environment too. Your affordable shipping container building is just one phone call away. Call 832-457-1082. That's 832-457-1082 or go to JRSpecialty.com to get them started on building the home, office, hunting lodge, vacation cabin, or storage unit of your dreams right away or the place to house your wife and five kids so your wife's not unhappy. Four kids, I'm sorry.
0: Don't be crazy. You didn't have five kids in the bus.
1: Anyhow. (laughs) Really, the people over at JR especially, they just do an amazing job. You should check out my Instagram at Big Angry Law if you want to see some pictures of what they do. It's really, really cool stuff.
0: You have it on your Instagram?
1: I I post some of the stuff. You know, they also sponsor my radio show. So I'm a full service voice for hire.
0: Okay, cool. Good to know. Can we get on with the story now? Four months after the birth of their fourth son, Luke, Andrea's mental illness and depression started. On June 16, 1999, she called Rusty at work crying and asked him to come home. Rusty later wrote in a journal, at the time, we were living in our bus conversion motor home in Hitchcock, Texas. I dropped what I was doing at work and just drove, he recalled. I was worried because she sounded like she needed me. I found Andrea in the back room of the bus in a chair, bent over, shaking her legs and, to a lesser degree, her hands uncontrollably. She had difficulty speaking. I need help, she managed to stammer. I tried to comfort her. I wasn't really sure what was happening. The first thought he had was fresh air, so he packed up the family, put them all in the Suburban, and drove to Galveston. They strolled along the seawall. He helped with the boys through the night, and then drove them to her parents' house the next day so that she wouldn't be alone with them while he was at work. She seemed fine in the morning, but that afternoon, she found her father's trazodone pills, and she took somewhere between 40 and 50 of them. It was enough to kill her. Luckily, or unluckily, her mother found her in time, and she was rushed to Bentop Hospital. She was lavaged, I think is how you say it. It's L-A-V-A-G-E-D. Now, look that up, and that means that her stomach was cleaned out.
1: Sounds unpleasant.
0: And she was given liquid charcoal so that her body would not absorb the medicine.
1: I wonder if the people that saved her feel bad. I don't know. I don't think they should. No, they did
0: what they have to do. Right. Your job is to
1: save the person. I know, but, I mean.
0: No, they don't. She was then referred to Methodist Hospital. And don't suggest that they should. What is I'm wrong not here? suggest.
1: I, I defend criminals. I'm, I'm not suggesting they should. I'm just wondering. I'm positing the question.
0: Well, if they weren't whether and they're listening, or not they do now. they
1: feel some degree of
0: no, unfair, uh,
1: undeserved culpability. I don't know.
0: She was then referred to Methodist Hospital's psychiatric unit. When she was transferred from Bentop to Methodist, Rusty was not allowed to travel with them. So he ran the .7 miles on foot. The intake nurse listed the reason she was admitted as overdose, doesn't want to die, but wants the misery to go away. It was noted that she had lost 10 pounds in the last three weeks. She had poor eye contact, poor concentration, low energy, and fatigue. The psychiatrist on call noted that Andrea was mostly nonverbal, but that she nodded her head and confirmed that she had thought the medication would end her life. She noted she had minimal speech, Retarded psychomotor activity, paucity of thought. Can we
1: say retarded now?
0: I don't know. I just did. That's what it said. That's what the chart said. Okay. Depressed mood, and that she had possibly had delusions of guilt and thought she was a bad mother, which I would say that's not, there's no delusion there, right? Right. He noted that she was at high risk for self-harm and placed her on one-to-one suicide observation every 15 minutes. The next day, she began taking Zoloft. After a joint counseling session with Andrea and Rusty, a social worker reported to CPS that the family of six was living in a bus and that Rusty allowed their three-year-old son to use a power drill. Seven days later, a CPS supervisor wrote back thanking her for her concern for the Yates children but said, because the situation does not appear to involve the occurrence and or substantial risk of abuse or neglect, we plan no further inquiries. He suggested directing further concerns to Houston Police Department because they have jurisdictions in such matters, which do they?
1: No, I mean, it's not unusual for CPS to get stuff wrong. And I'm talking about Texas CPS. I can't speak to any other state, but CPS is very capricious in what lives they decide to rake over the coal and what they give a complete pass. And they often get just basic advice wrong. Hitchcock is in a different county. It's in Galveston County than the city of Houston. So
0: HPD couldn't even do anything.
1: And the municipality of Hitchcock has their own police department. So no, HPD would have nothing to do with any, you know, criminally negligent parenting going on in a different county in a different city.
0: It just seems to me like if a social worker feels compelled to make a report, you should at least investigate. You shouldn't just say, yeah, we're not going to do anything with this. Thanks, but go tell HPD. So the social worker jotted a note on the bottom of the CPS letter, important, please place in the chart of Andrea Yates. The letter lay dormant in Andrea's file until the murders. So
1: no one read it? No. Do we know what the letter said?
0: Well, it just said that they were living in a bus. She was concerned that they were living in a bus and that he allowed the children to use power tools. Wow. Andrea was diagnosed with major depressive disorder and hospitalized for a week. Although she didn't seem to be getting much better, she was discharged on June 24th because of insurance restrictions after seven days in the hospital. Her discharge papers recommended that she start seeing psychiatrist Eileen Starbranch. Andrea was hesitant at first, but Rusty insisted and she began therapy with Dr. Starbranch. However, Andrea's condition worsened. She would often hold Luke and pace back and forth with him, but refused to feed him. She barely interacted with her other children, except to express concern that they, too, were eating too much. And she began to self-mutilate, scratching her scalp, face, arms, and legs. Dr. Starbranch prescribed her Zyprexa, but Andrea flushed them down the toilet when she realized it was an antipsychotic. I guess because she's a nurse, and she's like, oh, I'm not crazy. Let me flush these. Right. But it's probably hard if you're a psychotic. What you're seeing, you think, is real. No, no, I agree. And you're a nurse, and you're reading this, and you're like, I don't need this. Then, on July 21st, 1999, less than a month after she'd been discharged from the hospital, Andrea tried to slit her throat in the bathroom of her parents' home. Rusty wrestled the knife out of her hands and drove her to the emergency room. This time, she was admitted to Memorial Spring Shadows Glen Hospital, where Dr. Starbranch practiced. She was mute, suicidal, and psychotic, and had deep scratches all over her. Later, she was able to describe thoughts that included audio and visual hallucinations, she said, I fear I would hurt somebody. I thought it was better to end my own life and prevent it from happening. There was a voice, an image of a knife. I had a vision in my head. Get a knife. Get a knife. I had a vision of this person being stabbed in the after effects. She said the vision occurred about 10 times over several days. She didn't say whom she was afraid of harming and changed the subject.
1: Doesn't that seem okay. like a question you press?
0: Right. She also had obsessive thoughts over the children and how they would turn out because she thought she was a bad mom. She was diagnosed with postpartum psychosis. This affects about one in a thousand mothers, and it is a medical emergency that endangers the lives of the mother and her children. It is recommended that Andrea receive electroconvulsive therapy, or ECT. Shock shock therapy? Okay. She and Rusty were both against it. So she was prescribed antipsychotic injections of Haldol. They chose Haldol because it was an injection form, and she couldn't flush it down the toilet.
1: Very powerful antipsychotic.
0: Right. Rusty said the drug was miraculous. Within 24 hours, he felt like he had his wife back. He visited her diligently in the psych ward. Nurses' reports said husband is supportive and caring. He brings flowers. Most of the visit, patient is lying on the sofa with her husband sitting next to her, stroking her head. One nurse wrote, Rusty really tries the best he possibly can. 19 days into the second stay of the hospital, Andrea was again discharged to Partial Hospitalization Program, or PHP. She continued PHP for 11 days, but slept at home, which was now a three-bedroom house in Clear Lake. Rusty said, She never complained about the bus. I just thought a house might be better for her. Like you think?
1: Yeah, I mean.
0: So we went to the house. It's located at 942 Beachcomber Lane. Do you want to talk about it? Or
1: well, I mean, it. The house, the house didn't look in disrepair. It had a yard that is clearly the yard overgrown is with weeds.
0: It's. It looks it, like it's trying to eat the house. I
1: imagine someone bought this at a at a, at a great discount after the murders. Yeah, and is just holding on to it for whatever reason. Uh, it's
0: or maybe somebody's dead in there. Like it is literally. It looks like. I don't you'll think see. Dead We'll post in the there. pictures.
1: But I will say it. It was nobody's cutting it's the grass. Like, it's not like it is two blocks, exactly two blocks, because they're both on a corner.
0: I know from our fr- friend
1: from a good friend I'm of our house. It, I going to tell her. Yeah, I don't need to tell her. Because it would freak her out. She has a kid. I don't know. Well, it's not but like... But so we're driving there. I'm like, hey, this looks really familiar. Oh, isn't this so-and-so's house? I and know. they're like... It is. Yeah, it's crazy. So... I mean, I guess people got to live in that neighborhood. But it's just odd that in our it's small It's a nice neighborhood.
0: Find- I mean, nice... Normal neighborhood. It you would never think that anything would happen like right. that
1: there. Well, that's like every neighborhood. There's a murder in there.
0: That's true. It's not like you're like, whoa, this one. I mean, somebody's are, definitely going to drown their kids in this neighborhood. Right. I mean, there, there are there there neighborhoods you could
1: drive in and say, oh, my God, if this you neighborhood's to have some crime. But uh, that's not a neighborhood. I don't think a neighborhood exists where you drive in and say, hmm. <laughs> this, this looks like, a, like this. a woman who is forced to spit out kid after kid after kid by a somewhat, you know, ins- insensitive husband. While living in a Greyhound bus, we'll move <laughs> there and then drown her four kids.
0: We should not be laughing. We're going to hell.
1: If we're not having fun, why are we doing this? That's true. But, of course, I've said that from Chubb Street.
0: Okay. <laughs> well, you just know so much more than me.
1: Well, I mean, I you? think everyone can agree that's <laughs> the truth.
0: So, at this point, Andrea's doing great. But soon after she's discharged,
1: she requests. Great.
0: She is. She's back to, you know, she's on the How Doll. She's like, she's good. she's normal. Normal. She re- Are you going to tell the story or am I?
1: I don't know the story. You seem She'll to know more not. than me, so go I just don't it. think she was ever great or normal at that point, but go ahead.
0: So, according to other people that right. may know more than you, she was doing better. She was doing great. She was fine.
1: <laughs> go ahead.
0: So, Andrea's doing great, but soon after being discharged, she requests to get off her medications because, do you want to guess why?
1: To have another kid. Yes. That makes me... That just makes it clear that there's a lot of blood on Rusty's hands. I'm sorry to say that. He suffered a tremendous tragedy. But how do you take a woman who's going through postpartum psychosis and say, hey, let's have another kid. I know. How about, about, hey, I'll find the small size condoms at Walgreens and we'll just...
0: (laughs) (laughs) Why? We don't talk like that.
1: Okay, but this. But one thing I say, small
0: size,
1: I mean, because I mean, obviously he's from Tennessee. His name is Rusty. Come on.
0: Oh my God. Okay. No, but what's really, wrong? I mean, what? No, what's <laughs>
1: what, what's wrong with it? Who's t- who's working as a NASA engineer? Okay, making good money, making more money than the two of us made when I was a police officer and you a US social worker, and we had a very nice house out in the suburbs. And I was paying, I was going to school full-time, too. I mean, we only had two kids, but, I mean, it's... it's.
0: I didn't drown any other of them.
1: You know, <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that's something to patch stuff okay. on the back so
0: of stop. us. <laughs> okay, let's... But you're, but we like, acting like it's a big deal that we didn't live in a bus. No, we lived in a nice
1: house. I mean,
0: I, nothing okay. like this penthouse, so but... I will say, back then, when I heard the story, I thought, Rusty should be in jail right along with her, like... I I thought he was as much to blame as her. After my research, I honestly, I still think there are definitely things that he could have done differently, but he tried more than I realized at the time.
1: Well, a lot of it is probably the media narrative push, but I yes, just can't. They did. Hitchcock isn't the greatest part of town.
0: It's not, and you know what's weird is isn't it right by the dog track?
1: Well, it, yes. Well, the dog tracks on the so freeway. You got a
0: Greyhound, you got to put it by the Greyhound.
1: It's not that close.
0: Okay, take that part out. <laughs> okay.
1: The dog tracks in Texas City. It's about a 10, 15 minute drive. But the
0: It's not even there anymore. So right?
1: Santa Fe, which is where you had that horrible school shooting, not Santa Fe, New Mexico, Santa Fe, Texas. Yes, I am aware. is the for a long time was the Ku Klux Klan capital of this area. And Hitchcock okay.
0: why are we going back? They're not even in Hitchcock anymore.
1: And Hitchcock is literally the other, the wrong side of the tracks of Santa Fe.
0: Santa Fe is nice.
1: There's a nice community. There's some very nice homes there.
0: Hulk used to, his, his, his vet, vet. Used to be there. Right. Our moved.
1: dog, who was snoring earlier, and I had to put him out.
0: <gasps> That's why you put him out?
1: Yeah, well, I could you hear You acted the like headphones. he wanted
0: to go out. You made him go out?
1: No, he got some food too. You're mean. I'm not being mean. I'm trying to, the audio integrity of the show. But.
0: They can listen to Hulks. No
1: Hitchcock is... It's just not where you want to raise kids. I'm sorry for anyone who lives in Hitchcock, okay, but, but they
0: only live there for a little while. There's a Why huge crystal meth problem. Because, let me tell you something. We're back in... we a nice home in Clear Lake okay,
1: now. Okay, but... Me, she if, didn't
0: drown any kids when she lived in a bus in Hitchcock. Right, she
1: just had... Just got postpartum psychosis. Because she was living in, in the meth capital. The movie... Not the racing movie, Rush, but the movie with Jason Patrick and Jennifer Jason Leigh based on a true story.
0: Jennifer Jason Leigh?
1: Leigh, Leigh. That was Leigh. I don't know. <laughs> I just remember her being crazy. What was the crazy movie with uh single, white, single female. white female? You just
0: remember her touching herself, and we're taking that part out. You're, I read your mind. <laughs> I read your mind. No,
1: I was actually more We're of a Bridget None
0: of this has anything to do with this, anything. The
1: movie Rush was set partially in Hitchcock and part in Texas City. It was a drug dealing, true crime movie. That Anyway, not a nice area. Go ahead. Now I'm going to sit I up here. I don't even and,
0: know where I was. So, okay. So she wants to get off the medications to have another baby.
1: Gotta like Jennifer Jason <laughs> <Lee>. <laughs> Shut
0: up. <laughs> I knew you were there. Are you still? <laughs> Shut up. We're not supposed to be laughing in this episode. I was like, we're definitely not going to laugh at all in this episode. In all
1: as earlier you were crying.
0: I know. I and We had to stop. Go ahead. Uh, this is There's nothing funny. On August 18th, Dr. Starbranch wrote, Apparently, patient and husband plan to have as many babies as nature will allow. This surely will guarantee future psychotic depression. The Yates did not listen to reason, and by March of 2000, and Andrea there you go. was the pregnant The Yates again.
1: didn't. Rusty didn't either. Right. And Rusty couldn't just say, right. okay, I'm embarrassed to go buy the small size condoms. Oh, my God. Please um, stop. Let's try a different...
0: We're, we're being serious. Come on. <sighs> Andrea was pregnant again, homeschooling Noah and caring for three toddlers. But she was surprisingly healthy throughout her pregnancy and their only daughter, Mary, was born on November 30th of 2000. But three and a half months later, Andrea's father died, and Andrea crashed. It was terrifying. She was zombie-like. She pumped the heel of her foot up and down against the floor with the rapid action of an electric sewing needle. She picked at spots on her scalp until they bled. She held baby, baby Mary in her arms nonstop, terrified to put her down, and like she'd done with Luke, she refused to feed her. She stopped eating herself and drinking and speaking and was plagued with hallucinations that she could not or would not describe. She only slept an hour or two at night. Rusty called Dr. Starbranch. Spring Shadow Glen, the hospital where she was treated before, had been closed. She recommended immediate treatment at an inpatient mental hospital in northwest Houston. Rusty thought that was too far. Which, to be fair, he has to work. He has five children his mother-in-law, who would normally help him with the kids, has just lost her husband. He called several local psychiatrists to see if they would prescribe her medications over the phone. Obviously, they wouldn't. They wanted to see her first, but didn't have immediate openings for new patients. Rusty called nearby Devereux, Texas Treatment Network in League City, and she was admitted the following day, on March 31st in a near catatonic state.
1: So he couldn't be bothered to drive her across town to the doctor that he knew. that could. Well, I think her?
0: she was going to be like admitted there. And that would be hard for him. It was like an hour away. So? Well, he has five kids. I
1: thought it was four.
0: No, at this point he has five. Mary's been born. Okay. So, I mean, I could see him trying to find a closer place.
1: Okay. Taking Rusty's side, you, I'm not you always side. the contrarian.
0: I think that he he made a lot of mistakes. You have a treating physician. I'm sure physician, looking back, he's like Jesus Christ. I wish I would have made that drive. But you
1: have a treating physician that's doing a good job, right? Apparently. And then you so you transition. She has another episode. So you're like, man, yeah. Here, I'm sorry. Go ahead.
0: So she's in a near catatonic state, and she's placed on suicide watch. For days, she was mute and wouldn't eat or drink, except for small amounts of insure during Rusty's visits.
1: During Rusty's visits, were they conjugal visits? Was he trying to knock her up again? Oh,
0: my God. Stop. No. On the sixth day, her psychiatrist, Mohammed Saeed, noted that Andrea continued to be severely depressed, but was alert enough to give brief answers to doctors' questions. But she became instantly mute when asked whether or not she felt suicidal. For safety, she was monitored every fifteen minutes and continued to be described as severely depressed at each interval. She was prescribed the antipsychotic drug risperdal, began eating, and although, according to Rusty, she seemed like the sickest person in the hospital, she was discharged on April twelfth. And
1: well, it's likely because her insurance. Right yes.
0: Now. No. I was going to say I saw this later. Mm-hmm. Um, in the trial, I think they saw in the notes that she had a two-week, like the insurance approved of 2 right. weeks. so then they discharged her. So the insurance is to blame, too. The insurance, the doctor. I mean, this is like a whole, it's not all Rusty.
1: Well, most of it was Andrea. Andrea, right. yeah.
0: So Rusty said that Andrea was feeling down but stable for the first several days after she left the hospital. Then she began to decline. On the day that she was discharged, Rusty's mother arrived from Tennessee for a long-planned visit to help the family. In the face of Andrea's obvious decline, Rusty was perplexed that Dr. Saeed didn't prescribe Haldol. Rusty asked Saeed to contact Dr. Starbranch, Andrea's previous psychiatrist, to discuss her success with the drug. But he never did. He didn't do that until, like, right before the murders, I believe.
1: And he probably never did. He probably just... I don't want to say that. Yeah. My no. conjecture would be...
0: No, he did, but it was it was too late. Too little, time. too late? Yeah. By May 3rd, Andrea's bizarre behaviors returned. She paced the house, stood in front of the television screen staring at it, once for as long as 45 minutes, gazed into space, sometimes as long as three hours, and was withdrawn and non-communicative. Dora Yates noticed that her daughter-in-law was walking in circles as many as 30 times around and around. One day, Noah noticed his mom filling the bathtub with water. When Dora asked Andrea why she was filling the tub, she answered, in case I need it. May 4, 2001, Andrea was readmitted to the Devereux. Dr. Saeed had attempted to contact Dr. Starbranch for Andrea's medical records. His choice of Risperdal certainly hadn't been working. He relented and began treating his patient two milligrams of Haldol per day at he put in quotes, her husband's request. She was released on May 14th. Again, Rusty doesn't think she's ready. So I looked up before when she was with Dr. Starbranch, she was getting injections of a hundred milligrams every three weeks, but now she's getting two a day. So two a day is only 42 over three weeks. So it's nothing. Right. June 4th, Dr. Saeed and Rusty agree that Andrea has plateaued. She's back on. Haldol, she's been back on Haldol for a month, but at a much lesser dose. So Saeed decided to take her off.
1: Wait, so she plateaued as in she wasn't getting worse, but she wasn't getting any better? Right.
0: So That's what said, I assume plateau means.
1: Let's just take her
0: off? Right. Afterwards, she, dec- she declined sharply. At her June 18th appointment, The first thing that Rusty said was, she's declined and I'm concerned. Dr. Saeed's notes for the office visit say that Andrea denied having psychotic symptoms or feeling suicidal and that he didn't want to put her back on Haldol. According to Rusty, he said that the reason was, it's a bad medication. Saeed would later testify that he did not find any evidence that psychosis was playing an important role. So I looked up Haldol and according to WebMD, this medicine helps you think more clearly, feel less nervous, and take part in everyday life. So I'm, maybe I could get some. <laughs> just,
1: One, you I do take this way too seriously, and it makes you be very unpleasant to your husband.
0: So, which can,
1: <laughs> I, you know, when I file for divorce, I okay, intend stop. to include the she had I'm a podcast crazy. that made her crazy and unpleasant.
0: No, I was just saying, it makes you feel less nervous. And she tried but it can to drown also, me in the shower. Okay, stop. <laughs> uh, I shouldn't have said that. We need to take that part out. But it can also prevent suicide in people who are likely to harm themselves. It also reduces aggression and the desire to hurt others. It can decrease negative thoughts and hallucinations. So, so um, let's take her off that well, real quick.
1: I mean, I'm still stuck on the let's get you on it.
0: <laughs> Rusty's mother was still helping the family at this point. She'd been staying at a nearby hotel for months and helping with the kids. She originally planned to go back to Tennessee on April 25th, but decided to extend her stay indefinitely and was contemplating moving to Houston. Although it was advised that Andrea should never be left alone, the routine was that Rusty would leave for work at 9 in the morning and his mother would come to the house at 10. So Andrea was alone with the kids for one hour each morning. That's all it took. Two days after Dr. Saeed refused to put her back on Haldol, Andrea waited for her husband to go to work and began drawing a bath. At 9.48 a.m., she called 911. What's your name? What's your name? What's the problem? What's the problem? Um, I just need to come. Is your husband there? No. What's the problem? Uh, I need him to come. I need to
1: know why we're coming, ma'am. So that the, she doesn't seem and she doesn't sound insane.
0: Right. She sounds calm. My perception is
1: she sounds calm and she knows exactly what she did. And
0: it sounds so weird that the, the person on the other line thinks maybe somebody's standing there and she's trying to act normal or something. Like, why right. is she calling 911, not giving me any details, just saying she needs police? It's a very weird phone call. So after the 911 call, she called Rusty. You need to come home, she said in a firm voice that Rusty had only heard once before and dreaded. That time, she had asked Rusty to come home from work. Now she wasn't asking. She was telling him.
1: Well, you know, and I don't want to foreshadow too much, but I'll wait. I'll wait to talk about this later.
0: What's wrong, he asked. It's time, Andrea said. What do you mean, it's time, she repeated. He didn't need to hear any more. He left his office, ran out the front doors of NASA Building 1, he raced across the parking lot to his car, and he called Andrea while driving. Relieved that she answered, he asked, Is anybody hurt? Yes, she said. Who? The kids. She said, well, Which ones? He asked. All of them, was her unfathomable answer. Officer David Knapp was the first on the scene. Andrea answered the door. Her clothes and hair were wet. She was wide-eyed and breathing heavy. I killed my kids, she said. Why, he asked. I killed my kids, she repeated, before leading him into the house, down the hall, and into the master bedroom. He noticed the beige carpet leading to the bedroom was wet. There was a king-sized mattress and box spring on the floor. On top of the mattress, he found four lumps. He pulled back the sheet and found four dead children. Their clothes and hair were wet. Their bodies were still warm. Their eyes were open, and there was a frothy substance under their noses. He checked them for signs of life, but it was apparent that it was too late to revive any of them. He didn't know there was a fifth child until a second officer arrived and went into the hallway bathroom. That's where he found Noah, whose name is synonymous with being saved by God from a watery death floating in a murky bathtub.
1: She just left him there? Yeah. And you're crying?
0: I'm trying not to.
1: Why do (sighs) you do this to yourself?
0: (sighs) Ugh. This is the part, because of this part right here, okay? Murdered that day were seven-year-old Noah Jacob Yates. He was very smart. He had all the presidents memorized. He could fix broken musical toys and replace their parts with a screwdriver and a glue gun. He was a bug connoisseur who trapped everything from bumblebees to frogs in glass jars. He loved rainbows and butterflies. Five-year-old John Samuel Yates was fascinated with trucks. I read one article that said that truck was his first word. Another cute thing about John was that he liked to say heavy-duty. When he talked on the phone with his uncle, he'd be like, Whoa, heavy-duty, Uncle Randy. He liked t-ball and swimming and jumping off the diving board over and over. Three-year-old Paul Abraham Yates was the one everyone agreed was best liked. He was the nicest to his brothers and sister. He was the best behaved of all the Yates kids. They called him Perfect Paul. He was very cuddly and known for giving the best hugs. His favorite shirt had a bull moose on it, and he would wear it every day if he could. He liked dancing and pretending to be a firefighter. Two-year-old Luke David Yates was a handful. He was described as having a hard time grasping boundaries, but he had the most beautiful eyes that when he got into trouble and his father tried to lecture him, he'd almost always get lost in his eyes and be like, Okay, Luke, go on then. He liked to plant things, was afraid of thunder, and had a favorite blanket called dim-dim. Mary Deborah Yates was only six months old. She was ticklish and liked giving kisses. She was a good baby who rarely cried and loved all the attention she got from her older brothers. At the grocery store, she would ride in the cart and her brothers would each hold onto the corner as if to protect her. Or they'd each take one corner to protect her. If they were alive today, they would be 26, 24, 22, 21, and 19. Andrea was taken into custody. She was charged with capital murder, and the state filed motion to seek the death penalty. Her attorneys filed notice of intent to offer an insanity defense. So Andrea had a competency hearing. Competency hearing. After which she was found mentally competent to stand trial. The trial began February 18th, 2001, in Judge Belinda Hill's court. Do you know Belinda? Oh, know. you look like you can tell a story.
1: I don't have it's to good tell a story. I'm to take a break. I, I got a, I got a I few can't Belinda pour me Hill some stories. Wine she and you tell a story. Belinda, the first time I ever met Belinda Hill, our daughter had just been born. Yes, your wine bottle is making noise. <laughs> the I told you
0: our daughter was
1: was only a few months old. And I, had, I was working evening shift, and I was studying for class for law school. I think, no, no, no. That would have been undergrad. It would have been my last right when I graduated from undergrad. And I was a jack-in-the-box. I remember this day because it pissed me off so bad. And this was 20-something years ago. 25 years ago. Jesus. Our
0: daughter's 25. Yeah. <laughs> this, our, just, our daughter's so that, a quarter of a century-year-old. That, that makes it. so mean a quarter of a century-old.
1: So old. I'm studying for class at Jack-in-the-box on my lunch break my dinner break, and I get a call that there was two narcotics officers that wanted me to pick up a guy. It's a long story. I'm sorry. You told me to tell it.
0: No, tell it. I'm taking a break.
1: So they want me to go pick up the guy after they bust him for selling Coke. And I wasn't really big on the war on drugs. I would just throw drugs away. Even Coke? I didn't care. I didn't want... Sell that stuff. just kidding. So (laughs) I'm driving up. I park. And as I'm parking, I see this altercation between one of the undercover officers a guy named mclean and the suspect and they're struggling gunshot suspect and mclean drop in between the cars does
0: this have anything to do with the judge
1: i'm getting there suspect pops up and tries to throw this giant bag with a bunch of other little bags of cocaine into the swimming pool at the apartment complex at 2701 north perez and
0: it's irrelevant
1: okay it's a big apartment complex so for some unknown reason I perceived him as having shot McLean because McLean still disappeared and he's popped back up. So I'm going to go kill him, right? I, I think he's armed. But first I go pick up the cocaine for some unknown reason and run in between the cars. And I have my gun out and I'm not indexing, you know, finger on trigger. And when I wheel around between the two cars where they are, I see it's the suspect just spraying blood everywhere. Well, I'm standing over, I'm holding my gun. So that's when all the witnesses show up and they all they tell, think you shot? well, that was the story from the witnesses. So Belinda Hill wasn't a judge at the time. She was the head of the civil rights, you know, um, shooting team.
0: Is she white?
1: No, she's African-American. Oh, She's, a, she's an African-American Republican and what? she is, <laughs> they have them and she is so unbelievably rude to me that I get to the point, like, she's, you know, they're taking my gun, they're bagging my hands, they're doing all that, and I just lose it, and I start, you want my back up, and I unzip my shirt and throw my little, you know, I had a hammerless thirty eight and it's in a holster, but I throw it at her feet. I've got a shotgun in the car, too. You want that? I didn't, there's no bullets missing. I'm pissed off. She's just being rude. My Captain Buterra, like, drags me off, and I'm MFing her, and, you know, because I didn't do anything. You know, I was studying for class. I just pulled up, you know. So they take my gun. I had an extra job at the El Coyote that night. I needed the extra job because it was $80 cash for four hours. I don't know. I needed it for diapers for Madeline. Like I remember this. And in the news that night, they first said an officer was shot, which freaked my dad out because he saw it. And then in the, I think it was the passing assistant or the Chronicle. They say I shot the guy and I didn't do anything. They keep my gun for almost a month. I had to, you know, but the whole thing came down to her just being so damn rude, and she was just this condescending horror story of a prosecutor. <laughs> then she becomes a judge, and she's a condescending horror story of a judge. Like, we had, we were going to Disney World one time, and I had filed a vacation letter, and she's like, well, the vacation letter did not apply to criminal law. And I had to get this huge argument with her. I, mean, she's, I
0: think I remember that. She's
1: literally so- one of the most unbelievably unnecessarily unpleasant lawyers i've ever dealt with is in she my still trailer. a judge no so now
0: she's a lawyer okay, i, I don't, don't know, I know
1: the, she's she's a, probably still a monstrous person but <laughs> she so, she quit her bench to be the first assistant for uh devin anderson when she became the prosecutor the da in harris county but devin lost to kim aug so she obviously lost her job okay. i don't know what she's doing she's probably sitting as a visiting judge somewhere ruining other people's lives she's A terrible person.
0: You you like this part of the podcast, don't you?
1: That's that's my Belinda Hill story.
0: Okay. Outside the courthouse was lined with news tents and video cameras, boom mics, and media personnel jammed the entrance. Andrea was charged with drowning Mary, Noah, and John with a weapon, namely water. She was not prosecuted for drowning Paul and Luke. That's the thing that I talked about before where they do the, I call it, um, double jeopardy loophole, but you say it's not. It's but it not. is. I mean, it's, they're separate Why do crimes. you hold it? You hold it in your you pocket hold it back. in case something happens, and then you can say, Oh, gotcha.
1: But here, it, don't murder five people and you don't have to worry about right. that. I
0: got you, but it's, it's no. a double jeopardy loophole. It's
1: not double jeopardy. It's legally co- It's allowed.
0: Because of a loophole. Joseph Ombi? OWMB? Ombi, yes, You know him?
1: Yes. I, mean, I don't know him, no, but I know him.
0: He be, He's the prosecutor. He began his opening remarks by slowly ticking off the names, Luke, John, Paul, Mary, Noah, in no particular order. He described Andrea Yates' 911 call, the drownings of the children, and the activities of the police at the murder scene. You will hear that her motive was altruistic. She thought it was the right thing to do and that it was good to do these things to the children. You will also hear evidence that she knew it was an illegal thing that it was a sin, that it was wrong. You will hear about treatments that are effective and what shoulda, woulda, coulda been done and whose fault this is. We don't have to prove whose fault this is. We don't have to defend the mental health system of the United States of America. The medical examiners will testify to the bruises that were on the children from holding their heads underwater. Andrea Yates is presumed to be sane. The evidence will show that beyond a reasonable doubt, she is guilty of the murders of Noah, John, and Mary Yates. Andrea's attorney, George Parnum, approached the jury box. You know, so I can tell you're about to say something about George. No, I <laughs> I know you know him.
1: I, no, I don't really know him. I know that I dislike him. I've only had to interact <laughs> with him once. I had a horrifying case that I've already had to break privilege on because of a writ
0: Wait, what is break privilege?
1: You know, privilege, attorney-client privilege. You have to tell people? I had to break privilege privilege because George filed a writ saying that I was ineffective. Wait, but the, you
0: shouldn't break privilege here.
1: No, I wasn't planning on it. Okay. I was just, but I'm just saying I was as your ordered, attorney. No, but <laughs> I can talk wife. about it. But I was ordered by a judge. So I had a client that was accused of... Specifically of beating his wife so bad that she ran through. You can say this? Yeah, it was public knowledge. He pled guilty. But ran through the streets of her neighborhood naked trying to get away from him.
0: It'd and have he, to be really bad to be right, running through and the streets
1: and that he naked. put the kids in the car and drove a, his pickup truck chasing her down. And then allegedly when he this caught like up to Klusten her. This
0: sounds a episode.
1: Well, she didn't die. When he caught up to, to her. He pistol whipped her allegedly. They found the bloody pistol in the car. And when some neighbors down the street tried to intervene, they were African-American and he was accused of pointing the gun at them and called them the N-word. Initially, I tried to price myself out of the case, you know, charge a whole lot of money because it sounded horrible. But we got all the way up to the day of trial and the offer had been, it was like 20 years and 12 years. And right before trial started, they offered him six years. And I told him, hey, man, you should probably take this. And he... Decided to take it, and then we had to hear the victim impact statement, which was her talking in court, which literally almost brought me to tears. It was horrifying. A few weeks later, George files a motion for new trial, alleging that I forced him.
0: Wait, so he's already accepted the deal, and then but then he gets another attorney?
1: Right. He'd already pled guilty, been sentenced, to all of that. He gets another attorney, George, to file a motion for new trial. George, for like an appeal? No, to get the judge to try to convince the judge that I coerced him into the plea.
0: Is this like a normal thing, though? Because I've heard that a lot that people say ineffective counsel, but it wasn't technically ineffective counsel, but it's just like a way to get an appeal or something. Right. It's
1: a way to get a writ granted uh, or to get an appeal granted. It, it, like but it it's really a very doesn't mean line. you're a bad attorney. Yeah, it does. Right? So Almost it does? certainly. It's, it's alleging you didn't do your job right. When, in that case, I did an unbelievably fantastic job. In fact, me the correspondence between me and the prosecutor at the fact was, the prosecutor couldn't believe that I got such a great deal out of him, and they were complaining. about So, did about he get it. a new trial? No, because George only filed it on one of the two cases that we pled on. Because of course, he pointed the gun allegedly at the two neighbors, so they he pled to one of those charges and to the beating charge, and George messed up and only filed one most for a new trial and missed the deadline. So then he oh, dropped. So, so
0: that's ineffective counsel.
1: Uh, one would think
0: you should file against him for ineffective uh, that
1: counsel. doesn't matter. And so but then it's a later, <laughs> like a year later or so, I guess trying to earn not so he doesn't have to give back the money he's paid. I don't know. I don't know anything about that. He files a writ.
0: Well, you should say allegedly.
1: I don't know. I'm saying I don't know. He files a writ alleging that I was ineffective, kind of jump starting, and then I had to you know file an affidavit and explain you know, expressly what my conversations with my client were and the goals were and what he wanted to achieve. And, of course, it was denied, and he appealed it all the way up to, the, I think, the Court of Criminal Appeals, and it was all denied. But
0: So is the guy in jail. So
1: I don't shows. know if he's still there or not. This was a long time ago. But for me, it all seemed like a fool's errand by Parnum to justify taking money from my clients on a case that I did a better job than I felt comfortable doing. But, wow. yeah, so I'm not, I'm not a fan. People talk about, him. you know, I think the, the guy's parents oh, yeah. paid this a bunch book, of money. They
0: make it seem like he's like a really good attorney. I mean, I think that he was very vested in Andrea's case. Right. Monetarily.
1: Yeah. I'm sure he but made a also bunch of money. He
0: got a lot of press.
1: Right. And it was twofold. And see, that's another thing that he seems to like talking to the press and me. I, I have a radio show. And you know, I do TV, but I don't right. do it about my own cases until they're over. I shouldn't
0: say that. I don't know. I would take that part
1: out. I'm not taking anything but, out. He, he tried to allege your husband was ineffective on in a case. Yeah, your yeah. Husband no, did leave that. Job. Leave that part but, in. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's the
0: first time I ever said that.
1: And I don't, you know, I don't, I don't know what kind of man he is. I don't, I don't. But I have more frank conversations with my clients, and if I think something is absurd, like filing the motion for new trial in this kind of case where he got a gift deal, well. Yeah. I mean, it was a well, case that if I was on the jury and I heard all the evidence, I'd have given the guy as many years as I could. And Six
0: seems very light.
1: Oh, no. It was an amazing deal. Like, the prosecutor, the prosecutor six. kept throwing numbers at me, and I kept saying no.
0: And did he have priors?
1: I don't know. He didn't have okay. priors. But this was... Okay. The so allegations anyways, we're here were getting, unbelievably right. gruesome. I don't care. for. Yeah, I mean,
0: to run naked in the streets no, no, in your neighborhood. And there was also allegations of years fearing for your life.
1: Right. There was an allegation that she had gone to the hospital with severe injuries and lied in the past about yeah. falling off a uh, so there ladder. and It was just a bunch of stuff. So,
0: Okay. So he approaches the jury box and he asks, how does a mother who has given birth, who has nurtured, who has protected, and who has loved these five children interrupt their lives? How are nature's acts of birth, protection, and love inverted to cause what happened on June 20th? He said that Andrea Yates was a very definition of insanity. And if, if I'm on the juror, and I hear him say that, I'm, I'm thinking, interrupt their lives? Yeah, n- that's not what you call what she did. Right. The, to me, that was really, like, negating what she did.
1: Well, of course, he's trying to understate it. That's the whole thing.
0: He would have lost my... Um,
1: you often lose or win a trial just in Just by saying dire, that one thing, you would have lost me. Right.
0: I would have been like, I can't trust this guy. He's full of right. crap. He pointed out that all antipsychotic medications were eliminated from her body on June 7th or 8th, and that on June 20th, the inevitable happens. He concluded, as we sit here today, she has taken a daily dose of 15 milligrams of Haldol to prevent her from slipping into psychosis. Which, um, that part is... Pretty powerful because he had only given her two milligrams a day and then taken her off of it.
1: But here's the thing. The insanity defense does not mean that you were just simply insane. Okay?
0: Right. And she's already been determined to be insane. everyone that –
1: every sociopathic murderer is insane. The only question for the insanity defense, and that's why the title is somewhat, in my opinion, misleading – and some states are actually doing away with it.
0: Is if you knew what As was wrong.
1: If if you have a mental disease or defect that renders you incapable of knowing that the conduct was wrong. Right. So when but, she calls the police and when she tells Rusty the kids are, she's evidencing
0: right. that she knows
1: she's committed a so, crime. So,
0: Sid, this was like a whole thing that was going back and forth in the trial because you had two pretty powerful psychiatrist, I think they were, that were saying – one was saying she, she –
1: Right. You're going to have – we talked about it. this last week. You're going to have hired experts that are going right. to give the testimony that either the prosecution or defense – they're basically whores.
0: Right. No, but I will say that the one – and I, I don't think I put his name down. I think I put the other one down. But the one that was for the prosecution, he had actually – there were like he was on several different cases right. and he would go back and forth and he he was called well, of course called... you go
1: back and forth. No, you know but what you want to tell you why?
0: No, he was called to testify for Susan Smith I think it was about she pushed her car in and right. drowned her kids and he said that he didn't think that he could because he couldn't determine. And there were other ones that he and this doctor both agreed on. I think Jeffrey Dahmer, they both agreed that he was sane.
1: Okay. But if they're testifying all over the country about cases like this, they're hired tongues. Okay. They're being bought. And maybe they... But I
0: do think that he would say, no, I'm not going to, or yes, I am. Okay. But I didn't even write his name down, so why am I... Right. Belaboring it. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't think that was that important in the case. Jurors heard the 911 call and saw graphic photos and videos of the crime scene. How awful. Family members and many doctors told jurors about Andrea's mental issues. Dr. Park Dietz, a forensic psychiatrist, suggested that Andrea... Is it pla-
1: D-I-E-T-Z?
0: Yeah, did I say wrong? Dietz. Okay. Park Dietz. That sounds funny. Dr. Park Dietz, a forensic psychiatrist, suggested that Andrea planned the murders based on an episode of Law & Order. That aired shortly before the murders, in which a mother kills her children and uses a postpartum defense to set herself free.
1: Well, she had already been diagnosed with postpartum. I mean, that could just be. Was there any proof she watched the episode?
0: No. We'll get into that. Okay. They heard from Dr. Harry Wilson, a pathologist, who said it would have taken each child three minutes to lose consciousness and another three minutes to die. He said each of the children did not want to die, and they fought their deaths. He described the bruises on the children's bodies and used a life-size infant doll to show how Yates had pushed the forehead of her youngest child, six-month-old Mary, against the bottom of the bathtub. Because she had a big bruise on her head. They all had bruises on them. He said autopsies found bacteria in the children's lungs, which showed they had inhaled vomit and feces-riddled water in the tub as they were being drowned. As they each like that's horrible their body. They saw videotaped interviews with Andrea and heard her graphically describing the murders. She said, after rusty went to work, she went into the bathroom and sat Mary on the floor and filled the bathtub with cold water. Paul came in and sat on the tub and he said, mommy, are we going to take a bath today without answering him? She put him in the water for a couple of minutes. Afterwards, she put his body in the bed and went back to the bathroom. John wanted in, so she put him in the water for a couple of minutes as well. Luke was close by, and she put him in the water. Then she took John and Luke out of the tub and put them in the bed next to Paul. Next she put Mary in. She called no one to the bathroom, and he came in and saw his sister in the tub and asked what's wrong with Mary. So she put him in the tub. She said all of the children struggled but especially Noah, because he was the strongest. He even managed to get his head above water a couple of times and tried to apologize to his mother, who was in the process of killing him, saying, I'm sorry, before she shoved his head back down under. Afterwards, she put Mary in the bed and called the police. On March twelfth, two 2002, after deliber- deliberating for four hours, Andrea Yates was found guilty of capital murder. She was sentenced to life in prison. She was sent to Rusk State Hospital. And we went there. <laughs> you want to talk about that?
1: I don't know how you're laughing though. This is just so <laughs> horrible. I mean, thank God. I'm just she...
0: giving, I'm passing the ball to you. Okay. A break.
1: So we went to Rusk State Hospital.
0: The part that she was at is like behind it in Skyview.
1: Right. Skyview, mean, but it's all part of the same campus. But, you know, it's. It was an interesting trip up there because it's lockdown time, and I am not one of those people that thinks it's, hey, we should be out there being around other people. So we packed, you know, we usually will stop and eat and do things when we drive, and we really didn't do anything. We just drove up there. I had to stop and pee once and get some gas, and that was the only time we stopped. We drive the three-so hours up to East Texas to Rusk, and it reminded me that I had a case once up there. You did? You did? Yeah, but we get there and I stop at kind of the edge, right right into the large driveway. There's a guard box or a guard house down, kind of about a length of a block, a city block from the highway that it's on. And I stop at the very edge of it. You get out, you take pictures. You're clearly on the. I don't easement,
0: get anywhere near the, the gate, fence line the or fence. Anything.
1: But I, you know, because I mean, it's I take pictures
0: like the sign. But right, it's hospital. a
1: state hospital, so I'm just playing. Usually when we go to sketchy areas to take photos i get out and i walk with you and if i can't park anywhere i just pull over and i watch you but i never let you out of my sight. i always know what's going on but here it's a state hospital so i'm just looking at my phone playing on my and i look up and i see this guard walking away and you walking back to me you come and get back in the car and you know he told me that it was a violation of hip uh, yeah
0: he'd come up to me he was like who are you with and i was like my husband? Like, I knew what he meant. Right. I should have said Tim Z. I don't know. should have but said Cluston, I know. I should have. I think I was wearing a Cluston shirt, too. be like, I'm but with said, Thank you very I much. I said my husband. And he was like, no, I mean, like, like, are you with, like, a company or something? I was like, no. And he was like, well, you can't take pictures. And I was like, oh, I can't? And he was like, no, because it's a HIPAA violation.
1: So she gets in the car and tells me that I'm a little bit upset. I said, I'm going to talk to him. Then she's mad at me for going to talk (laughs) to the guy. I don't
0: like confrontation.
1: So I go dress the guy down, and he starts with the nonsense about it being a HIPAA violation. Should we play it? I mean, if you want to. Okay, we were not on private property. state property, for one thing. Okay, but here, let me just get your name real quick. No, you, you lied to my wife. If you told her she couldn't take pictures of public property because of HIPAA violation, you were lying. I was only a police officer for six years. I was only a judge for nine. I don't appreciate people lying to my wife. What was your name? My name is Clay Ardenbrot, and I am okay. not lying if to you. If you're telling my wife she can't take pictures because of a HIPAA violation, that is not true. Into the, yes, ma'am. Yes, sir, it is. Nope. We have patients. Okay. I'm, I'm going to flip around. Clay, thank you. I'll talk to someone you on Monday. Super- now, a couple of things. One, we're outside the fence. where anyone can see. Not a HIPAA violation. Two, there was no one in the parking lot. It was a parking lot and some buildings, exterior buildings.
0: There was nobody. Like, if he he should have come up to me and been like, if you see a patient, don't take a picture of him.
1: But and this I is have. what the government does. The government, when given the option to bully, they're going to bully. And most people don't. Most people just take the bullying. It's like before you started recording, the first security guard, a female, you know, said, this is private property. Yeah. And I responded with, this is a state hospital. This is public property. But we weren't even on the grounds of the hospital. I was
0: nowhere near. I purposely stayed far away from the fence. Like, if I was holding my phone over the fence taking pictures.
1: But even if then. Maybe that's wrong. One, it's not wrong. But two, there wasn't anyone to take a picture of. The suggestion that you can't take pictures of a publicly owned, taxpayer-paid-for facility. Right. Is insane. This guy, old Clint, was a big guy. And he just saw a little woman out there and thought he was could... Was it
0: Clint or Clay? That's it was Clay. It
1: was doofus.
0: Something, CL. But he just...
1: <laughs> and then he was going to insist to me that it was a HIPAA violation. It's just the government being the government. It was It was actually pretty despicable. But you were all mad at me that... I, I know. I didn't want you to. And then when I went we up there, good, you were like, oh.
0: I was and like, I, was I, I hate saying, oh, I used
1: to be a cop and I used to be a judge. But it's just so absurd when law enforcement or... I, it's, I think he was just a security guard try to buffalo people and bully people because most people just take it.
0: Right. I did. I was like, okay, I can't. It's a -a I violation.
1: And then I was like, let's pull over and let's finish taking a picture. No, 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 I don't want to be there because he made you feel so uncomfortable. You don't want to do it. Right? So to hell with that guy.
0: So in 2005, a Texas appeals court reversed Andrea's conviction and granted her a new trial.
1: Was it the first or the 14th?
0: That I don't know. After it was discovered that a prosecution witness gave erroneous testimony that it influenced the jury. Remember that Law & Order episode that Park Dietz testified about? I
1: remember you mentioning it like five minutes ago.
0: Well, no such episode ever existed.
1: He just made it up?
0: He did. And I think that he was just like, oh, I misremembered. To me, I think that he should be...
1: It sounds like perjury.
0: Right. Nothing happened to. But him.
1: that's the thing. That's the whole hired tongue thing that I talk about. The expert witness whore.
0: But that's this goes beyond.
1: No, that. it's it, and that's. But you you face that. What I'm very good at doing, as a lawyer, is cross examining people, including experts, and you have to be very knowledgeable of what their anticipated testimony is and what the underlying basis is for that testimony, and then you get the contravening argument and you push them into a corner, and make them concede or just straight lie in a manner that the jury can see, okay? But just fabricating stuff. Right. And he's the reason that she – well, I don't want to ruin the ending. I'll let you go because I know the answer. I I wish I knew because I worked at the 14th Court. Houston is unusual, and then it has two courts of appeals, right? We used to have one just the 14th. And these are intermediate. You you go from the trial court to the intermediate appellate court to the, in Texas, the Texas Court of Criminal Appeals, which is our Supreme Court, our state Supreme Court for criminal things. We actually have two Supreme Courts. Mm -hmm. One is called the Supreme Court, but it's civil, family, probate matters. And then one is for criminal cases, the Texas Court of Criminal Appeals. I worked at the 14th with my job right out of law school. The first Court of Appeals. No, no, no. this was, no, that was back way back. But the first Court of this Appeals in
0: two thousand five she was granted it some no. Five I don't know. years
1: before. The first court of appeals was actually originally the Galveston Court of Appeals and then moved to Houston. I'm sorry, <laughs> I don't want to talk about it. We have two appellate courts unlike any other I I don't any other city in the country. You mean right? state? No, I think we. I don't don't think there's any... You said
0: any other city in the country. Right.
1: I don't think there's another city in the United States that has two intermediate appellate courts in one single city.
0: Oh, I thought you were saying in the state.
1: We definitely are in the state, but I think we are as well in the country. Okay. Two intermediate state appellate courts, both situated in the same city.
0: In Houston.
1: In the same city. Never mind. I'm losing you. You You, lost
0: me a long time ago. We're taking that out. So, on July 26, 2006, a jury found Andrea Yates not guilty by reason of insanity. Since that time, she's been committed to a state hospital in Kerrville. She makes greeting cards and sews aprons, which are sold anonymously at craft shows. And she's still a practicing nurse. Not Uh, really. (laughs) Yeah,
1: I was already mad enough.
0: Wait, no, you didn't even catch that part. I I did catch it. I just put that in. She's still a practicing nurse.
1: (laughs) I caught that. I knew. I why <laughs> I are, you first trying thought, to why are you cracking her. jokes? I knew there was no <laughs> way. Just
0: imagine if she was. I have
1: represented <laughs> hundreds of nurses. You have to deal with the board of nursing exam, the the the, the board of nursing examiners, and they'll pull your ticket.
0: I know. I did I did, for literally. very low-level
1: crimes, they're definitely pulling your ticket for murder.
0: I literally just took that. I, that wasn't even in here, but I put. Surely they took her license away, right? And I was going to ask you that, but I was like, no, let me just say she's a practicing nurse. Well, but they would have, right? She's no yes, longer the board. There's no ta- way
1: their board would have taken her license. But here's the thing: when you ask for the death pill, do you talk about this at all? Because I don't want to step on it. Do you talk about how that that she. How they influenced. Okay.
0: I don't know what you're talking about.
1: Okay. So when you ask for the death penalty in the first trial, and you have to get basically death qualified jurors, jurors who will consider the possibility of the death penalty. She didn't get the death penalty. So she, when she a retrial, they could not seek the death penalty. Oh, I again. forgot
0: about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I did, I did read that. Okay. I put it in so there.
1: then when you're doing the voir dire, You can't ask people whether or not they're okay with the death penalty. penalty. So you usually end up with more liberal jurors. Okay, and I think that because that, and I don't think they did as effective a job the second time. Mm -hmm. Because you can listen. She knows everyone. Jeffrey Dahmer was insane. Anyone that murders someone is insane, unless you are defending yourself or defending a third party. If you murder someone, you're a lunatic.
0: Right. But if you're waiting for your husband to leave to go to work because you know he's going to stop you.
1: You know you're doing something wrong. Right,
0: and then you call the cops. If you call the
1: police, you know you did something wrong.
0: Okay, this is like a weird gray area because she, there was also this preacher that I didn't even get into that, that she had this belief that her children were going to be bad because she was a bad mom. And her belief, if you die when you're a child, you automatically go to heaven. So if she killed them now before they got bad they would go to heaven otherwise they were doomed to like spend eternity in hell which is that crazy i don't know is that unless cra- it, it,
1: i saw that in medical records prior to her talking to lawyers once. well she
0: would say she was a bad mom but i i don't think she ever actually told people hey i'm thinking about killing my kids i think if she had done that things would have been Handled a lot differently as far as her well, one care. one hole,
1: but you never know with CPS.
0: True, but very true.
1: She clearly knew she was doing something wrong, and that's an element right. of the test. And you know, yeah, was she crazy? Of course, she was crazy, but she comprehended that what she was doing was wrong. And they made the argument, I in this second trial, I assume that she thought she was doing a good thing by murdering him, and that's lawyer make believe.
0: No, I think that was throughout. I, I think that. She did honestly believe that. And I think that she did honestly have severe mental problems. I don't believe Kerrville has
1: armed guards. It doesn't. I don't. I think it's co-ed.
0: Yes. Fortunately,
1: it doesn't sound like she was allowed to have any more children. She gets to do arts, crafts. She's got a job. It's a campus environment. It's not anywhere close to prison.
0: It's really not. And I definitely think that she deserves at least to be in prison. And one of not the narratives death penalty.
1: Well the death penalty in this situation I find a little problematic, but it's because living with what she did I think is far more punishment. Is it? That's I mean, I think it's room for debate. But the way Parnham paints this portrait of just her mental illness and now she's a well person, that she's not culpable, I think is a little bit fame horish and I think it's insane.
0: Well, And also, I know that she's on antipsychotic medications now, which is great. But who's to say? Because you could come and go, right, on the campus? That's what it seemed like. Anyway.
1: No, I don't think they can leave.
0: Oh, I thought they could.
1: I do not think that you can leave Kerrville. I think you're okay. locked down. It's just not prison-like conditions. And if she wanted to escape, it's probably far, far easier and very possible.
0: Well, but it, what if she thought that... Somebody was possessed by Satan or some other crazy thought like that and killed them.
1: Well, I, and then
0: is it like, oh, poor you?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that obviously they would take more security measures. She prosecuted Kerrville's a very, very conservative area. So I think she ends up in prison. I think she only didn't end up in prison now because of you know, what you were saying about the expert witness lying. And that was a linchpin for them overturning her case, right? Right. And then. You you have just a different juror makeup that's more empathetic than a death qualified jury and you know. But I, I think it's injustice, but I'm not involved in the case and I will agree to disagree with those that were.
0: Well, another thing that I didn't understand is after her first when she was guilty, she was still considered insane. I mean they put her in the crazy bin. But right, the of question the is prison. not what everyone So why isn't she just there still? She's still not guilty by reason of insanity. So,
1: well, you ha- you are subjected to the uh, the jurisdiction of the court for the amount of time you could have been subjected to the jurisdiction of the court if you'd found guilty under a insanity finding. So for her, it's the remainder of her life.
0: Do you think she'll actually be there the rest of her life?
1: I think Parnham has claimed that they're not planning, intending to seek her release. No, I think at some point they will seek her release, and I think she's probably got a pretty good shot at it, and I think that's awful. When you think about...
0: About her just being in the world?
1: Her just being in the world after what she did to all five of those children.
0: It's terrifying.
1: Well, it's not terrifying. It's just disgusting. It's a, It would be a manifest injustice, in my opinion.
0: Okay. Well, Rusty and Andrea divorced in 2005... Part of the divorce agreement was that Andrea received a glider rocking chair, which she felt sentimental value toward. I guess she rocked her kids in it.
1: And that's disgusting. Right. So what does she sit there and rock herself and think about the kids she forced into the water with the bile vomit-filled water?
0: Right. Like, poor me rocking in her chair. I I just don't have any sympathy for her at all.
1: But you do seem to have sympathy for Rusty. And see, the fact that...
0: I think Rusty could have done a lot of things differently. The fact that he
1: knocked her up while she was in the midst of the throes of this horrible, horrible depression and psychosis associated with having kid after kid after kid suggests to me someone that is callous and narcissist. And
0: I agree with all of those things. But you said Andrea's punishment of having to live with what she did is punishment enough. What about him? And he didn't do it. He has to live with what he didn't do.
1: I think that clearly he's not culpable for her acts, but I think there's plenty of blood on his hands. But
0: you don't think that that kept him up at night thinking about what his children went through? And... I hope
1: it eats at his soul every day.
0: Yeah. Well, another part of the divorce was she wanted the right to be buried in the plot closest to the children. Of the two. So they bought two plots next to the children, and she got the one closest to them. And that really makes me sick.
1: I think the whole thing is just really kind of just gross.
0: And gory. I have could
1: have gone my whole life without knowing this information.
0: <laughs> so we went to the children's gravesite. They have a beautiful monument with their pictures on it, and um, three of the children are buried on one side of it, and two are on the other We'll post pictures of that.
1: It is. It is a beautiful cemetery right off the Gulf Freeway, and it's their portion of it is beautiful. But for me, I think it's far too little too late. What do you mean? They shouldn't be in the ground.
0: Well, definitely not. Rusty remarried in 2006 in the Clear Lake Church of Christ, the same church where the funeral for his five children were held.
1: I thought you had said earlier... That he wasn't even a or told me that he wasn't even a member of that church.
0: I read that. That at the time of the murders, he wasn't, that they reached out to him and offered to do the...
1: So why would he want to have...
0: Maybe he became a member
1: Okay. later. I guess.
0: I don't know why he would want to have his wedding in the same... I would never want to go there again. Exactly. But he and his new wife welcomed a son in 2008. And I've read that there's they've since filed for divorce. I don't know if if they are divorced or if they're still working on their marriage. But we went to where I think he lives now and took pictures of that house. I'm not obviously not going to give the address. Right. But one thing that struck me about it is that he used to play basketball with his older sons at the Beachcomber home and at the time of the murder there was basketball goal in the driveway and there's one at this house too. And I don't know why that like really struck me, but
1: it did. Well, I would hope that he would play basketball with a new child, and I hope that he would be involved in their lives. But, yeah, yeah, I just, the whole thing is.
0: It's an awful story. It's ominous. Didn't you say
1: omen earlier? It's all ominous.
0: So I'll post the pictures that we took along with other pictures that you may find interesting about this case on our Instagram page, which is Cluston, our Facebook, and Twitter, which are Cluston Podcast. Until next time. Mind your peace and clues.